Wright, Jason King, and Ashley Hodge here with the Sikkim 365 podcast for the Field of 68 Network. And today we're really excited uh, to be joined by Fran Frischilla from ESPN. I think anyone that follows Big 12 basketball or basketball nationally and internationally uh, is very familiar with Fran. I think he's the top analyst uh, in basketball at any level and uh, certainly knowledgeable about Baylor and, and the Big 12 and, and glad he's on. And Fran, uh, thanks so much for the time. I, you know, it's been a weird season uh, early on. We don't need to get into all that. Everyone knows the, the deal. But when you have watched Baylor and, and you've seen him play, what's your take on, on this team so far? Well, I think given the pandemic and what's what happened as far as training and practices and summer workouts, you know, a team like Baylor particularly, who already was going to be a great team, Jason, coming in, I think they have a little bit of an advantage because they've already had a continuity and chemistry built up, built up over the last few years. So, you know, the health, the health and safety of all the players in college basketball is a concern. But given that Baylor's done a reasonably good, if not very good job of keeping everybody together and safe, um, means that that continuity is, is enhanced even more this season. Yeah, I was a little nervous about them after those first two games, not because they didn't play well, but just the quality of the competition. Uh, Washington wasn't quite as, as good as I thought, but man, that Illinois game, that, that's when I, I bought in. And, and especially after watching Illinois, what they did to yeah. do, that was a really quality team they beat, wasn't it? Yeah, but I also think if you think back to those two first two games in Las Vegas, I mean, come on, we threw that, you know, our guy Scott Drew threw that, those two games together in two days, you know? Absolutely. So, I mean, there's a lot of things going on. Um, you know, some of it is teams just aren't as good as they normally are. And we'll probably get into that Duke and Kentucky, uh, you know, Duke and Kentucky particularly, but man, anything that happens in the first three, four weeks of the season right now, you just have to take with a grain of salt because of practice times and pauses and all those, you yeah. know, all those kind of things. But having said that, I wouldn't worry about the Baylor bears as long as they stay, you know, COVID free. I'm knocking on wood here. Um, they, they've got an outstanding group. They got they got arguably the best backcourt in the country. Um, you know, they've got Mark Vidal. They've got some really talented young guys that we haven't seen much of yet. So I, I think Coach Drew, um, I, I'd be very surprised if these guys don't stay in that top five the whole season. Sure. Fran, obviously Baylor had a terrific year last year, but there was a big concern about how are they going to replace Freddie Gillespie and I'll, I'll attempt this name probably by the 20th time I say it, I'll get it right. But uh, Jonathan Chamwa Chachua, um, yeah. he is, he's been a really bright spot. I, Jason knows I've got kind of a man crush on him. He's yeah. the guy that just plays with such positive energy and, and gives you some things Freddie didn't give you, just that uh, really bouncy athleticism. But of course, it's hard to replace Freddie Savvy. I mean, how do, you, how do you assess them as far as filling that hole right now? Well, he's done a reasonably good job. You know, Freddie, I had the man crush on Freddie the last few years. Yeah. You guys know. Yeah. I mean, I saw that development happening and was shocked by it, you know. And um, so, um, but, you know, Jonathan, I've, I've watched him practice a lot, obviously, over the last couple of uh, seasons, last year in this. Been down there and seen practice a couple of times already. And the, I think the best way to describe it, actually, is what you said, positive, positive energy. He's a big kid. It really doesn't matter if he's in the game or on the bench, but you can see the energy exude out of him. But given that he is 6'8 or 6'9 and only a sophomore and a good athlete, very strongly built, you can only see, you, you can only anticipate what he's going to be given what the coaching staff has done with 
guys like Freddie and Quincy Acey and uh, Royce O'Neal and on and on and on. So I, I expect him to get better and better and eventually be at a stage where, you know, Freddie was as a senior, but he's only a sophomore. What about some of these other pieces, Fran? You know, everyone's spent the offseason talking about the Jared Butlers and the Mark Vitals and the Davion Mitchells, and rightfully so. But you and I and Ashley knew that Adam Flagler and <laughs> Matthew yeah. Meyer were going to be, you know, big-time contributors. Uh, now the rest of the nation is kind of seeing it, too. What's, what's your take on how, how some of these, these other guys, I guess we'll call them, for now at least, <laughs> have yeah. done so far? Well, listen, the proof's in the pudding. If you go to Baylor, the likelihood is you're not transferring. Very few guys transfer. There's a likelihood that you may spend a year redshirting, which means you're going to get better. There's a high likelihood that you're going to get coached the same way all these other guys have over the last 17 years, and you're going to improve. So, you know, um, I, what I love about my job is I get to tell people uh, about Buddy Heald and Monte Morris and Davion Mitchell and Jared Butler before anybody else does you know, mm -hmm. in my role. Um, so I love that. Freddie Gillespie, another perfect example. No surprises. You know, Adam Flagler is going to be a tremendous player. Uh, we haven't seen Jordan Turner much lately. He's going to be very good. The two young big guys, don't worry about them. They're getting better. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's just, it, it's been an incredible system that Scott Drew and the coaching staff have put together, Jason, because uh, it's almost amusing now looking back at all those people who said that Scott Drew wasn't a good coach. Yeah. Because what we've seen over the last decade is just completely the opposite and credit to him and his coaches and the players for buying into this. Well, the thing that, that gets me about that too, is people forget, you know, just like players get better. Yeah. I mean, coaches yeah. get better too. You know what I mean? When, when he Absolutely. took the job, he was in the low thirties and of course he probably made some mistakes and, and whatever. And, Gosh, when it comes to the X's and O's, and I mean, I'm no expert either, but I can even notice a, a, just a, a difference yeah. in the last seven or eight years of just their preparation and their scouting, and they're not taking bad shots for the most part. And But the yeah. thing I like most, Fran, about these teams is just the harmony and the cohesion, yeah. not just on the court, but off of that. I mean, when you talk about this backcourt, you got five guys if you throw LJ Cryer in there, yeah. yet there's seem to be any and then this was the case last year too no no bickering no ego no you know who's getting the more the most minutes or the most shots what do you think it is about this staff and this this culture that has enabled that to to kind of set in well first of all the way you were talking it made me think about jay wright who i coached against 20 years ago who's a way way better coach than he was then people forget the first three and a half years at Villanova, before they went to an NCAA tournament, there were alumni calling, you know, for his head. And obviously yeah. that looks silly now, but the, the similarity in the programs is striking. The best game I did last season was at Myrtle Beach Championship when Villanova and Baylor met. And that game was such a fun game. It was one of the best games of college basketball that nobody talked about because it was in Myrtle Beach. But to answer your question specifically, number one, Scott has definitely improved as a coach. Um, which, which to your point, it makes perfect sense because you do this long enough and it's trial and error, you know? Yeah. But the other thing, in terms of the harmony, I've really never seen very many programs in my 40 years around this in college that has the kind of harmony and chemistry. Now, some of it is, I got to be honest, and I have no problem saying that some of it is the Baylor University mystique. 
mm-hmm. overall, you know, the fact that it's a religious-based institution and notwithstanding some of the issues it's had through the years that we're all aware of by and large. Um, and I learned this 15 years ago when I first moved to Dallas, I couldn't believe how many of my, and I live in a place in the university park. I couldn't believe how many of our friends, kids were going to Baylor. Yeah. And so the, the school itself has in, engendered a great feeling of spirit. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it is religion, religious based, faith based. That carries over to basketball. I mean, these kids, uh, it's a faith-based team. They're not afraid to talk about it. Um, they, Scott Drew and his staff have created a family, true family. All, I, all, I, all I'll tell you is what I said earlier, nobody ever transfers seemingly. Yeah. You know, uh, it seems like 95% of the guys stay um, and they get good kids. They get really good kids, kids who buy in, you know, buy into the culture. And uh, much like Villanova and Michigan State and Virginia and those cultures, Baylor's got a very success-oriented culture that uh, has served it well. Yeah. You know, I, I think back on that Villanova-Baylor game. I watched it this summer when there wasn't much sports on. <laughs> and I just remember how, you know, prophetic you were in some of those sets, you know, like uh, Jared yeah. Butler would come off a screen and you go, oh, that's too much space. That's good. Like you'd predict good. play before yeah. it happened. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty amazing. Yeah. Yeah. When, when you talk about culture, you know, I, I think about some of the great programs out there that have young coaches. Do you, do you almost see a changing of the guard? Like you look at, I mean, obviously Jay Wright, Tony Bennett have won national championships, yeah. but yeah. you get a Mark Few. You, you have these coaches under 60 that seem to be like elevating to the top of the sport, Scott Drew, Chris right. Beard. I mean, do you, I mean, do you see that there's like a handful of, of programs that seem to be taking the mantle that maybe uh, Roy Williams, uh, uh, you know, Mike Shashevsky and Tom Izzo and so forth have, have established such a standard and that, that you see some rising tide here? It's, 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 it's you know what, Ashley, uh, I got in, I, I became a college coach in 1980. So I've seen the cycles. I've seen right. like when Dean Smith and, Bob Knight and you know it's just the way it is you know I mean pretty soon guys like Bill Self are going to be retiring and Tom Izzo and there's going to be if not a Scott Drew or, or Mark Few who are already at the top of the heap there'll be young guys coming up behind them you know Jerome Tang will be the next coach somewhere and be successful um, yeah I know it's great to see you know I mean I I came up in the era of uh, of Bill Self Tom Izzo these guys are all friends of mine you know and Right behind those guys are the Scott Drews and the Chris Beards. And it's fun to watch, but it's just part of college basketball. It's the life cycle, I guess you could say. Right, right. Fred, let's, let's kind of shift gears and, and look at the Big 12. You know, last year, I just thought there was such a gap between the top two teams, Kansas and Baylor. I think the third place, third, fourth, and fifth place team might have all been nine and nine or something like that. But yeah. Um, this year, man, it's just, it's so much stronger. And, and, and yeah, Baylor, I think right now everyone would say they're the best team, but, but I'm sure these teams are going to get a lot better over the next few times. What do you see? What do you see after, after that, after that next uh, tier, I guess, after Baylor? You mean like in the big 12 or? Yeah. in the big 12, I mean, like let's, let's talk about Kansas and Texas. Yeah. I mean. Well, here's what I think. Um, Baylor certainly, Baylor certainly, um, deserves to be where they are. I mean, I think they deserve to be picked number one, but I also felt that the top of the league, the top five teams, not necessarily are interchangeable because Baylor is certainly shown to be that they're really good, but 
that's a really good top five. That's as good a top yeah. five as anybody has in the country. I really think Texas is legit. I do. I saw the game on Sunday. This is the best team Shock has had. They're older. They have some chemistry now. Uh, they didn't lose anybody to one and done like they did with Bamba and Jackson Hayes and Jared Allen. Their backcourt's grown up. I really like them. West Virginia's older. Um, you know, Kansas is certainly older in the sense that they only have one five-star guy on the team. Everybody else looks like they're going to be a three- or four-year guy. Yeah. McCormick, Abaji, you know, Marcus Garrett's a fourth-year guy. And I was just talking to um, Rick Bozich about this from Louisville, you know. Yeah. Um, we were talking about um, the number one job description of a college coach used to be crisis management coordinator. Because you have to deal with putting out fires every day of the week, on the court, off the court, playing time, kids wanting to transfer, maybe a kid that's failing a class. Now the number one job description is roster management supervisor. Yeah. You know, now you build a program with transfers, grad transfers, international kids, high school kids, JUCOs on occasion, transfers who are eligible immediately. And, you know, Baylor has been perfect at this. I mean, if you look at how they've built their program. So uh, I think the top of this league, by and large, is old. Yeah. Uh, minus Texas Tech, which showed you that they could hit the bump in the road against Houston. But the reason Baylor is so good and the reason the top of the league is so good is because the Big 12, by and large, has never been a one-and-done league. It's mm -hmm. been a league of Buddy Heels and George Niangs and Monte Morris's and you know, uh, Quincy ACs and, you know, so on yeah. and so forth, you know, Jared Butler's guys like that. Yeah. I, I you kind of coined the phrase, I, I think when, when we were, when you were talking about Baylor a lot last year, that their, their program has kind of become that get old, stay old, you know? Yeah. And, and, that's, that's yeah. I think, and if you look at Duke and Kentucky right now, you know, finally the one and dones have caught up to them because and not all one and done classes are created equally. And by the way, Scott Drew found us out a little bit, right? With yeah. and, and, and Perry Jones and, um, mm -hmm. and adjusted. Bill Self's going through it now in part because of the NCAA investigation. Yeah. They're not actually able to get Matthew Hurt to go there. And instead he cho chooses Duke. So um, yeah, the, the similarity of the Baylors and the Villanovas and the Michigan States and the Virginias and the Gonzagas yeah. is um, and I think Mike Bray was the guy that coined this a few years ago when he had those really good teams with transfers. Yeah. Get, get old and stay old. Yeah. And that's, that's the coin of the realm in college basketball right now. You know, you, you brought up Kansas and, and Baylor has had some really good battles with them. And, yeah. and you know, they, they want to finally get over that hump and win a Big 12 title. But I, I watched them yeah. play Creighton and was actually impressed. I mean, I, I was pretty down on them yeah. for, for a little while there. And, uh, you know, they really showed me something against uh, Creighton last night. What, what's your take on, on their kind of where they are right now? Well, they got it. They got a They got a coach that's in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. So he, he knows what he's doing, as you and I both know. You know better than most uh, because of uh, your great book. And uh, so I like this team because now it has flaws. Mm -hmm. We've seen it even last night. But I like this team because they can go nine deep. Yeah. And they're interchangeable and they're versatile. And I think Bill's going to have fun coaching this team. I think he wishes he had Devontae Graham and Joel Embiid and Andrew Wiggins and guys like that, but he doesn't. Okay. Right. So having said that, um, 
they're going to be versatile, athletic. They're going to play small. And by the way, that's another characteristic in college basketball at the elite level is lots of four guard offenses this year. You know, you're going to see a lot of it at Baylor. You're going to see it at KU. You're going to see it at Oklahoma State. You're going to see it some at Texas. You'll see it at Villanova. You'll see it around college basketball. So um, I think Kansas is going to be very, very good. I think they're going to come. You know, it's funny. I was just going to blurt this out. I think they're going to compete for the league title. But I would often say that in a year when they had 16,300 in the arena. Yeah. You and I both know they never lose at home, and that's nine and zero right there. This year is going to be a little different, so maybe they, maybe maybe that advantage that they've had over almost anybody in college basketball the last two decades may not be there. Right, I think the gaps definitely closed a little bit in terms of personnel between them and the other teams. And um, but you know, yeah. but like you said, when you've got a coach like that, he's going to coach them up and have them ready. They could have lost that. They, they maybe should have lost that game last night. I think Creighton missed nine free throws and. Christian yeah. Brown banked in a, a crazy three-point. <laughs> but exactly. still, hype. they found a way to win. Yeah. Actually, what do you, what do you yeah, think about the Big 12? Um, I just want to ask you about your, your coaching career. Like, you know, I know a lot of guys go to the analyst role and then they yeah. get the plug. And, and I'm sure you probably think, hey, I, I know so much more now than when I coached. I mean, if, yeah. if, are you content being an analyst? Have you ever got the bug and want to go back to coaching? You know, I, I had the bug early on after the first couple of years out, but I really – I've said this many times. It's not, it's not anything that people haven't heard before. I, I had two sons when I left New Mexico in 2002. I was 43 years old. I had a lot of coaching left in me, but I got to Dallas where my wife is from, where I've made my home and my two sons were nine and six. I just made a lifestyle decision. I wanted to watch them grow up. Yeah. And I gave, I gave up some things. Um, if I might say so myself, I was a pretty good coach. You know, I went to eight postseasons in nine years. I had opportunities after I left New Mexico, where, by the way, I replaced Dave Bliss. Yeah. You know, and we knew Coach Patrick. Yeah, yeah, I did. I I actually knew Dave from the SMU days because my wife went to school there. Mm -hmm. So I knew. And so it's unfortunate about what happened. Obviously, it was tragic. And we all know that story. And of course, that's why Scott Drew is now the coach at Baylor. But anyway, when I got to Dallas and I started raising my boys, like, or actually helping my wife finally raise them because I was coaching. I kind of enjoyed what I was doing. And uh, in recent years, now that they're both coaching, you know, they're ones in the NBA, ones in college. If I had an opportunity to go back, even to be somebody's assistant, I would do it. I love what I do at ESPN. Um, Quite frankly, I'm getting bored. Um, I'm really good at what I do, but not a lot of people up there know it. So Mm -hmm. if I had an opportunity to, uh, be somebody's assistant in the NBA or even at a high level college program or scout in the NBA. I would think about it. Having said that I'm on a glide path towards a really easy life right now. Mm-hmm. I don't really work for a living. Um, so I, I'm content, but uh, we'll see what happens. Cause I'm, I used to kind of give you the old co- coy coach talk. Yeah. Man, I'm doing it. But no, I think I would coach if I had the right opportunity. Yeah. I've seen you at some, yeah, I've seen you at some camps. Like uh, I went to the Steph Curry camp a few times, and yeah. I know you in Colorado. You do some stuff, so you every now and then you get to get out there and kind of do your thing a little bit. And and yeah. uh, and I, I'll tell you what, I, honestly, Jason, I've learned. I, you know, it's funny. I have a growth mindset, which many coaches do. I've learned so much about basketball since I retired. 
I mean, I know way more now than I did then. It's just because I love learning every week. You know, there's something about basketball. I literally learn every week that I didn't know before. And I've, around, I've been around a game my whole life, so it's fun. To me, that would almost be an, another thing on your resume that would make you so attractive is that, you know, the, for the past 20 years, you've been going to practices and, 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 and watching the best coaches in America, you know, and, and I'm sure you've picked yeah. up a ton of stuff. What have you, I mean, even though you, I mean, everyone gets bored at their, with their job at some point, but what have you liked about this uh, as far as the actual work in, in, in the last 20 years of, of doing this? Um, well, first of all, I'm a junkie, lifetime uh, basketball junkie. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter. I've done women's, I've done women's NCAA tournament, which I don't do anymore. I don't know why. Uh, cause I, I know I got, you know, I know people, the women like that. I treated them just like I did Kansas and Baylor on the men's side. Yeah. You know, I've done a number of Baylor lady bears, uh, NCAA tournament, uh, runs, um, but I love being around the game. So this is why it's a great venue, you know, to be, but I've done everything international NBA draft, uh, yeah. high school, you know, on, on ESPN, things have changed at ESPN. They're more compartmentalized, which means all I do is the big 12. And as I told you guys earlier, uh, Dickie D and Jay Billis, they pretty much get to pick their schedules. Yeah. So I'll be doing less big 12 this year because the league is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, and that irritates me. And I don't mind if my bosses hear this podcast because yeah. <laughs> they got to pay me for two more years. So I don't care, but, yeah. um, but I, but I'm blessed. I love what I'm doing. I would definitely coach if the right opportunity pops up, but it would have to be somebody probably back East New York where everybody knows me already mm-hmm. or Texas, you know, it's funny, you know, when I was at Manhattan college and we had some really good teams, when Tubby Smith left Tulsa, I was offered the Tulsa job back when it was a great job. Yeah. But I had a really good team at Manhattan coming back. And I thought, I don't know anybody in Oklahoma or Texas except my wife's family. Fast forward all these years. I know everybody in Oklahoma and everybody in Texas. Yep. It's, funny yeah. how, it's funny how things go work out. But mainly, you know, my contacts are back east as far as, like, I shouldn't say that. I guess I guess I have a little bit of a national brand. So yeah. I could go anywhere, but I would be more comfortable coaching in Texas or the, or the Northeast. Right. So, Frank, maybe Baylor will have an opening Sunday because I know uh, Jerome Tang is a, is a hot name. And on that note, I wanted to just hop back to Baylor real quick and Jerome Tang. Yeah. Um, you know, he's an interesting story to me because when he got hired, a lot, a lot of people were kind of shaking their heads. Like, yeah. you know, he didn't, I believe, have a degree. And like, it was just, oh, he's just a hired gun to go recruit. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's a shame that when people react that way, but man, what a, what a journey and what a, what a story he's become. You spent a lot of time around him. What about him makes you think he's, he's ready to be a. Well, he's, a tremendous, he's a tremendous human being and he's a great family man. And, and he's been, we all know this, who are close to the Baylor program. He's been by Scott's side from day one. And I heard the same, the same talk about Jerome Tang was the same talk, talk that Scott Drew had to deal with, right. In a different yeah. way. And Jerome is, uh, he's the rock of the program. I mean, those kids adore him, love him, like they do the rest of the coaching staff. But, you know, he's an African-American who is a great role model for for them as a father, as a husband, and as a coach. And um, he is the secret sauce to a lot of the Baylor basketball success. And I think what's happened is it's been hard for him to leave Baylor because no one's had the opportunity the coat, the head coaching opportunity. Like, there's no reason to leave for a bad job when you've got a great 
associate head coaching job in a top five program. So I would hope, I think he was very close to getting the Tulane job, but Mm -hmm. they hired a proven head coach already in Ron Hunter. No offense to Ron Hunter, Jerome Tang would have been unbelievable at Tulane yeah. because, because of who he is, what he stands for, and the fact that uh, Baylor's had a couple guys out of the state of Louisiana in the last <laughs> 20 years. And so it didn't happen, but I think, um, you, know, all, you know, all things work together for good. And in his case, I think it's going to work out just fine. Absolutely. Brand, I, we, we had a few message board questions on the Sikkim 365 <laughs> So I'm, okay. I'm just going to handpick a few of these. Yeah. You know, do you think a full bracket in Indianapolis could be completed in March when, when you've seen so many teams have had to postpone cancel already? And obviously the Gonzaga Baylor game was there and the health officials, you know, shut that yeah. down. So is that, is that a concern for you? It is. It's, it's not, listen, I'm, I'm a, I'm a cheerleader for playing. Um, I'm a cheerleader for playing. I've talked to a number of coaches um, and players who have told me in the last three weeks we just want to play or the coaches have said my my kids just want to play basketball you know we're gonna we want to keep them safe but they want to play but having said that Ashley um and I'm a I'm a proponent of that I'm not a negative guy I'm a I'm a John Rothstein guy you know test negative stay positive right um but having said that that out 300 times a day (laughs) what's that (laughs) So just text every coach that 300 times a day now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, he does. Exactly. Uh, every morning at 7 a.m., I believe. Uh, but uh, no, I, I, I think to answer your question, we are in uncharted waters. I think we can have a tournament. Um, I was part of TBT last summer, which put 24 teams in one hotel. And we had some issues. We had 28 teams, actually. But four um, had to drop out because they had a positive and we were left with 24 teams. We pulled it off. Uh, the people at TBT are phenomenal. Um, so it's, it's, it's doable, but I expect bumps in the road. I do. I don't know that we'll have a virus. I don't think you could classify college basketball players as essential workers. Um, and I'm half joking, you know, maybe there is some essential aspect to giving people some entertainment, but in all seriousness, I think we just have to get through this winter and spring, and hopefully the vaccine takes care of it. In the meantime, I do think we're going to have bumps in the road. Yeah, yeah. Um, Fran, you know, a lot of people on the on the Baylor board they like you a lot because uh, they yeah. they feel like you've treated uh, Baylor really fairly. You know, yeah. um, which and I know we're all over the place with these questions, but, but you know, especially early in Scott's career, you know, like we we've talked about it. Oh, he can't coach this and that. Yeah. But, What's your take just on, and we kind of covered this, but like when he, when he took over that program, what, what you thought initially about the task at hand and, and how he handled that? Because to me, I think that might be a reason that you have a, a level of respect for him that maybe some people don't have the same perspective on, because you've seen it from the, from the, you've seen it all happen kind of from the ground up. Yeah, well, I knew his family a little bit. I knew Homer a little bit, you know, just the final fours and stuff and got to know Scott. And I thought he was crazy when he took the job. I really did. You know, we had just moved back to Dallas in 2002. I left New Mexico. You know, he got that job, I believe, in the summertime, if I'm not mistaken. It was right around that time we were coming, moving to Dallas. And uh, I thought he was crazy. I did, because he looked like he had a good gig. Um, I know the search firm that handled the search. And uh, Bob Bodine, who's become a very, very trusted friend of, of 
Scott Drew's like he is mine. Um, by the way, um, among the people that's that he put in place, Bobby put in Steve Peichel at Rutgers, and that turned out to be oh, wow. good. That's but looking Scott, good. Well, there's about there's about ten of those kind of guys, but um, but Scott um, has done, I think, one of the if not the greatest rebuilding job in NCAA history. It's in the top two or three. John Thompson at Georgetown, Jerry Tarkanian built UNLV from the ground up, but they didn't deal with the kind of stuff that Scott dealt with when he got to Baylor. So I could probably go on record of saying it is the greatest rebuilding job in NCAA history. Why did Lou Dolson's another one? I wouldn't, I mean, I don't know if it's Scott. That's another, that's another on my list. That's another one I do. I haven't done that in a while, but I have said that before when we talk about these great rebuilding jobs. But why did you think he was crazy? Did you just think it was in such a bad spot? It was, it was unfixable or (laughs) Well, first of all, with all due respect to some good coaches and players, the previous hundred years weren't exactly like the, you know, wasn't exactly Duke and Kentucky, you know, um, they had some, some success here and there, you know, uh, coach, coach Howard did certainly, I don't remember the teams in the forties that went to the, I think there was a final four in there, maybe 46. Yeah. 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 So I don't remember those teams, but um, yeah, I just thought there was no history. You got to remember my wife went to SMU. So I knew about the Southwest conference, you know, and then I knew about Baylor going into the big 12. And we all remember that the only reason Baylor got into the big 12 was because allegedly Ann Richards was a Baylor mm-hmm. grad, right? the governor. And I'm just joking, but, but it looked, it looked not feasible to win at Baylor in the big 12 yeah. and without, without breaking a lot of rules. Let's put it that way. And that's, that's been put to rest. And um, so I think what he's done over, you know, whatever this is, uh, 18 years is, you know, arguably the the best recruiting uh, or rebuilding job ever. And, you know, when he first came to the league, those first five, six years, I mean, there was all this talk, all these other coaches don't like Scott, you know, he's doing this or that. To me, Scott initially in Baylor basketball reminded me of like, you know, when you go play pickup ball and you got that one guy out there that's not any good, but he just guards you the whole time and you go to the water fountain, he's on you, he's driving you nuts. You don't take him too seriously. And then he keeps working hard. And like five years later, it's like, man, I got to show this guy my respect now. There's another aspect of that is Baylor was two wins a year for every team in the league. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, uh, yeah. And I got to tell you this guy, I got to tell you both of you guys this, the respect he has right now among his peers is not only, is not only high level, but the stuff that he does behind the scenes for the coaching profession, all of these games, he's very close to Mark few. You guys probably know that they're, Mm -hmm. They're good friends. You got Rem back and this is still on. It says John Rothstein's calling me now. So I'm going <laughs> to stay positive. Hey, John, hey. I'm doing a podcast with, with, uh, with uh, Jason King at Baylor, Ashley as well. So I'm going to stay positive and test negative and call you back, but we're on the podcast right now. So you're famous. I think I heard that, I I heard that somewhere before. Yeah. <laughs> You've gotten credit for it on the podcast, but I'll call you back. Bye. Bye. Live podcasting. That's what I love. <laughs> I couldn't be really not answered it, but why? We already mentioned John. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, so anyway, where was I? But anyway, yeah. Here's You're talking about the, just just the way other coaches look at Scott now. Well, you know? I'm telling you, there Izzo, uh, Calipari, Drew, Few, a lot of these guys have been working behind the scenes all spring, summer, and fall 
to have a college basketball season. And Scott's been right smack in the middle of it. His, the respect that his peers have for him on and off the court right now is high level. Good. All right. So I got another question from the message board and it, and it pertains to something you brought up earlier, but just that growth mindset. Yes. You know, it's easy for coaches to say, all right, I'm getting to sweet 16s. I'm getting elite eights. I'm not going to change what I'm doing. But, you know, here's Scott, you know, scrap the zone, which he had been, yeah. been such a staple of their DNA defensively, but, yeah. but just also offensively, just um, the amount of sets that they run and their ability to uh, plug and play different parts and really create an efficient offense. One that's yeah. known for crashing the offensive glass, you know, I think them and West Virginia and the yes. 12 are the two that really have that as, as part of what they do every single season. But uh, what have you seen from just the creativity? And, and I guess the question would be, what, what programs across the college landscape really impress you as a coach with their offensive creativity, their flow, their ball yeah. movement, et cetera? Well, Scott's in that top echelon for sure, Ashley, as far as, first of all, let's take growth mindset. He's gotten better every year in so many areas. The thing Scott's one of those guys that wants to always try to figure out a way to be better at something. Okay. And uh, Bill Self's like this. Tom Crean is like this. Tom Izzo, who's a very close friend of mine, he's going to beat you over the head with the stuff he's been doing for 20 years. It's been working. Roy Williams running the same offense he has for 20 years. When they have really good players, they're going to win big. When they're young, like they have been, not so much. But Scott has definitely, I mean, that, the perfect example is, he felt they needed to play zone um, whenever it was 10 years ago. And the, uh, the formula was perfect. And it wasn't a traditional zone. It was an awkward type zone. It was like trying to hit a Mariano Rivera splitter, you know? Um, you knew it was going to bend, but you didn't know how fast and how, how far. And Scott's zone was very tricky. It wasn't a summer league 2-3 zone or a YMCA 2-3 zone. And then a couple of years ago, I think he saw that he had the personnel in the backcourt to guard people like junkyard dogs, mm -hmm. uh, main, mainly starting last year. I went back and looked, there've been some years where they've been 90% zone. There's been other years during this incredible run where it was 50-50. Mm -hmm. and, and I think last year it was kind of 90-10 back to man to man. So that shows growth mindset, that shows creativity. If you look at like if you said if you said to me, well, he's great in player development. Is it guards or forwards? I would say both. You know, I mean, look at all the big guys they've developed at Baylor through the through the years. But then look at all the guards they've developed. They've had a point guard on the All Conference team, first or second or honorable mention, since Aaron Bruce. Yeah, wow. That's like that's like thirteen guys. <clears throat> you know, that's 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 uh, Tweedy Carter. That's. Uh, Man, there's so many guys that come to mind, you know, Makai Mason, you know, the guys they have now, you just go back through the years and, and he developed, he, so he does everything well. It's hard to find an area where he doesn't feel they can improve and, and work in those areas to get better as a coach. All right, Frank, well, you hit you up with one more question and, and let you go. Mine would be, um, you know, Mark, I've, I've made it clear that like Mark Vidal is like my guy. I love watching him play. And I, yeah. You know, especially because like my son is 11, really getting into basketball, not a great shooter yet, not a great yeah. scorer, but I've really just <laughs> made him watch Mark Vidal. He does. And, and he now he 
he embraces the fact oh, I got an I got an offensive rebound and kicked it out for a three or I go for this ball and he's and he's taking pride in that or that before it might not have been a big deal. But when you watch Mark play, what's the future for what for a guy like that? I mean, I know he wants to play at the next level. Yeah. Um, he he's made a huge name for himself in college. But what do you how do you kind of see his his future? I guess uh, he's had an amazing run. You know, he really has yeah. five years now. Another one of those guys who yeah. was fairly highly recruited. We had him at Under Armour camp when I ran that. Mm-hmm. And uh, fairly highly recruited who they convinced the redshirt. Um, the tricky part for Mark is the athleticism and NBA level and the energy and enthusiasm, also NBA level. Um, the shooting is a factor, you know. Yeah. Um, he would have to be a total outlier and it's not impossible for him to be a Dennis Rodman, but Dennis mm-hmm. was six eight. Mark. Mark's probably six five. Um, right. I wouldn't rule it out, but the shooting has to improve. Yeah, um, he looks at like PJ uh, Tucker a lot. Yeah, now PJ never shot a three in in college, not one. Right. Mark has shot enough, and they, the percentage hasn't been great. So yeah. yes, PJ did develop that. Uh, but yeah, also, I would say, uh, Jason, and I don't know if you go back that far. PJ Tucker was really unstoppable in the low post in college. Yes. He was a bucket yeah. getter. Now they're similar in that, you know, size, but PJ Tucker is one of the best players in the big 12, the last 20 years. Absolutely. And, and not for the shooting, but for being a six, five post player who could score over anybody. Yes. And Either I, way. I think there's a, yeah, absolutely. PJ Tucker was a stud. And, and, I, and I think, you know, the good thing about Mark is I think he'll be able to make a lot of money somewhere, you know, yeah, maybe. I think so. I, I think so. I, I mean, think he'll play, he'll, he'll play somewhere. Um, yeah. Yeah, but the shooting is key because that's what NBA teams need right now if you're 6'6 six, yeah. six or 6'5. Six, Absolutely. Yep. Ashley, what do you got to, to round it out here? Final question. Well, I, I've been big on beating the drum. You know, I think it's the narratives have obviously changed after the Illinois game, but yeah, I, I thought Davion Mitchell was really underrated coming into yeah. that. I mean, you look at Jared Butler and Mace T, they were making these preseason lists, but. Yeah. Jared Butler, I mean, uh, Daniel Mitchell really wasn't. Uh, do, do you think he's the best on-ball defender in college basketball? Is, is, or do, would you put Marcus Garrett a little bit ahead of him in that regard? No, no, they're in the same ballpark. I mean, Marcus did so many things for Kansas last year. You could have – you really, I think the problem for Davion was you had Mark Vidal here. Right. They split the vote. Right. You know, those guys split the vote because those three guys to me were three – they, they could have been the three best defensive players in college basketball, all in one league, two on one team. But let me just tell you about Davion. What shocks me about Davion is how good a scorer he's become. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because last year, early in the year, he was just, it was, it was Jared creating and scoring for himself and his teammates. It was Maceo scoring off of Jared for a long time. And it was Davion making a bucket here or there you know, going two for seven from three, but just locking people down. I saw a great improvement at the end of last year in his offense. And right now, I think the thing that's most underrated about Davion Mitchell in America is his ability to be a great two-way player. Yeah. And, and in some ways, some ways he might be the best two-way player on, on Baylor's team. Right. Yeah. So he's had a tremendous, and, and, and now Adam Flagler is more where, Maceo was last year as we think of him as a scorer in offense. So, I mean, kudos to Davion, man. He is, uh, he might be the most underrated player in the country. If he's not, that's, that's a little hyperbole, but he's certainly one of the most underrated because we always talk about, you know, obviously 
um, you know, Jared and Maceo. Yeah, he, he was the best player on that court against the yeah. He was. Yeah. Yeah, I tell you what they do better than anybody. Those three or four guards. And and by the way, I love LJ Cryer. He just has to be patient. Oh, yeah. You know, LJ is going to be a really good player. What they all do great, aside from being who they are, is they all shoot the ball really well off the dribble. Mm-hmm. They, they, they're not catch, they're not just catch and shoot guys. Certainly Maceo is. But, you know, when you see Davion or Jared or those guys start putting the ball through their legs out on a three-point line, they're kind of setting you up to kind of create a little space and then rise up and shoot it. And Davion, now he's done that great. He, he's a great off-the-dribble shooter right now, or at least above average. Right. You know, my last comment before we let you go, Fran, and we don't need to break down his games, but, uh, you know, Jared Butler, I mean, you've inter- you know, part of your job, you know, is not just calling the game, but interviewing players afterwards and yeah. talking to them at practices and getting to know them and stuff. Yeah. I just – I, I, every time I talk to this guy, I'm just floored. Whether it's listening to him during a press conference or just one-on-one, I mean, he's as good as good of an ambassador, in my opinion, as there is for college basketball and obviously for Baylor. What's been your take just on, on him getting to know him? Well, that's the beauty, beauty of my job, man, is getting to know these yeah. guys from day one, you know. And in Jared, I love, you know, he's soft-spoken um, mm-hmm. and humble. He, you know, he's humble, but he's obviously confident. I mean, you don't yeah. go and get 31 at Kansas as a freshman or whatever it was yeah. and not be highly confident. But there's a humble confidence, which is not uncommon at Baylor. The other thing about him is um, he's, he doesn't seem to be a great athlete, mm-hmm. but his skill level is unbelievable because it doesn't matter who's in the lane defensively. He's going to figure out a way, left hand, right hand, a high off the glass, scoop, a, scoop shot, He's, he's tremendously skilled too. He, he's got the whole package. He's, he's a great young man. He, you know, you said it, I couldn't have said it any better. He just, you know, uh, but, but it's funny when you, I, I have favorite players mm-hmm. and when I think, you know, I'd say Monte Morris is in that mix. Yeah. George Niang, certainly Buddy Heald, uh, Devontae Graham and Baylor is like, I got eight of them, 10 of them through the years, you know, but you know what, all those guys you mentioned, I, I've, dealt with them as well yeah. and they're all just great guys you know what I mean too and that, that's you know a lot of times I think you know as media members you don't want to play favorites but when you meet these guys and, and talk yeah. to them and see what kind of people they are and, and, and not only that you see what their mindset is in terms of just really getting it you know from a team aspect that really Desmond Bain sure. Desmond Bain falls into that category yeah I, that, that. that guy texted me two nights after the draft to thank me for all the positive coverage oh you wow know? And that's the cool thing. I mean, I still stay in touch with Monte and Matt Thomas and, uh, you know, guys like that. And, you know, the Baylor guys, certainly I, I feel uh, akin to because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, every year I go down and watch practice, I have to give a State of the Union speech to them. Yeah. Who makes me, hey, you want to talk to the guys today? So I got to be come up with something like, you know, that hits home for them. So through the, yeah. I, I remember telling Pierre Jackson, like, you better get your act together here or you're not going to be here long. This is like his junior year when he transferred in because he was, uh, I don't want to even say the words because it's a Baylor podcast, but he was, uh, he was a clown early on, hard to coach early. And then Pierre became one of my favorites because I hit him right between the eyes. I told him, I said, Hey, you, I said, Hey, you go ball stinks. It's not what it was 25 years ago. And all the best players who don't qualify for 
high school, they go to prep school. So I don't care that you were a star in Jugo ball. And we always laugh about that conversation every time I see him. What's that? I said, Ish Wainwright is another guy that when you, when you talk to people around that program, that just, yeah. just, just personality made a huge difference for them. Yeah. And he's, by the way, he's doing great. You know, yeah. He, he's That's playing well somewhere. I just saw it. Um, oh, good. Yeah. Anyway. Hope yeah. You want to see, you want to see good things happen for good people. And Fran, you're a good guy for giving us this much time. I think we went double what we said, but, uh, but uh, just really, I've always enjoyed your insight and, and appreciate you uh, treating Baylor as fairly as you have. And uh, look forward to seeing you this season. Thanks, so, thank you. Actually, it's a pleasure. Regards, I'll see you guys down to Georgia's when we uh, when yes. we're down in Waco. And uh, and I'm working on my cholesterol, and we can all be out. And I'll have to start <laughs> I'm working on mine too. Hey, at, least for, at least for a few weeks. Best all right, for uh, Ashley Hodge, this is. Thank you. This is Jason King in the Sick and 365 podcast with the Fuel 68 Network. Subscribe on iTunes. Thank you.